Thank you for listening to the Vine Church LV podcast. For more information, go to www.thevinechurchlv.com. All right, guys, I am really excited for today. Um, I want to tell you guys just a real quick story, and then we can shift in. Um, you know, uh, it's not a, not a big secret around here that we had some big shakeups recently in the church. Um, and a mix amongst those shakeups, um, as things were kind of getting sat in my lap, I really, you know, I've been honest with you guys on the stage. I kind of went through a bit of a crisis, like, okay, I'm 25, leading a church, like, it wasn't like a slow transition. It was like one day a bomb went off, you know? And, uh, you know, so just trying to navigate that. And I was really, really praying. And one thing that I am very big on, because, you know, I always preach, make sure you're getting mentored, make sure you're getting loved on, make sure you have someone pouring into you, uh, make sure you're under an authority that's someone who can speak into your life. And no matter what they say, you're submitted and committed to it. But I didn't have that anymore. But I was still preaching it, <laughs> you know? And so... Um, I prayed, and I was like, God, I'm not going to go through a long season of not having someone. I don't believe that's in your will. I don't believe that's how you made the body of Christ to work. And so I was in the car driving with my wife, and I was like, I really think i got to pray about getting a mentor. And this was like, it had to have been like, like three, four weeks after the transition had officially happened. And I'm sitting in the car, I'm like, hey, babe, what do you think about asking Pastor Zach? And then right when I said that, my phone buzzed, and Pastor Zach said, hey, I'm praying, on, praying for you right now. How are you doing? And it wasn't like, I'm not exaggerating the story. It wasn't like, oh, he texted later. It was, I said his name, my phone lit up with his name. And I was like, we call those confirmations back where I come from. And so I texted him and was like, hey, uh, you want to meet up? Because, like, I need this ASAP, you know, and... Um, during this season, as we began to transition as a church, um, I really felt like we were getting to a place where we were, we were healthy. You know, I feel like this church, honestly, and this isn't a weird shape towards anyone else, I feel like this is the healthiest we've been as a body of Christ together. I feel like people are flowing in their gifts. They're beginning to step forward with the confidence to say, you know what, I know who God's made me to be, and I'm going to start walking as that. I'm seeing people who were too afraid to step up run up with the opportunities that God has been giving them. And uh, so I sat going, wow, our church is so healthy. And then I walked and I met up with him and I sat in his office and I sat in his office and I was like, oh man, our church sucks. Like, like, and it wasn't like a knock on, on, on us. It was just like to sit in the presence of a leader who really was really healthy behind the scenes. I took a breath of fresh air and I called Thomas directly afterwards and I goes, I don't, I don't think I've ever felt an atmosphere so free before. And so that for me was my final confirmation of going under him and really letting him pour into my life. And I appreciate him for that because he's been someone I can lean on without really any context. I just walked up like, hey, I'm a kid you kind of know. Will you mentor me? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, oh, that's how it's, that, that's the Bible. Um, that makes sense. Wait, it's supposed to be that easy? I, don't, I thought you had to work for it. Um, and, and so just know that in many ways, uh, he's shifting and transitioning into being a father in this house and of this house. Because even this last week, I met up with him and just told him the areas that I suck and that I needed help with. And I was met with wise biblical counsel. So know that, that when I get healthier and when I start preaching these crazy sermons, it's going to be coming from his secret place in many ways. Uh, so give a round of applause for Pastor Zach as he comes and just throws down. He's got something for you guys. Amen. Come on. That's incredible. You have to give me a second to get situated here. Thank you guys for the, the honor and the welcome. Hallelujah. Oh, this is, this is a magnetic uh, iPad case. 
So it won't, it's like sticking to the pulpit here. Whoa, there's so much glory on this pulpit, man. So much anointing, can't even, <laughs> you never use it. <laughs> oh, I missed that one. I missed that prophetic cue, huh? So, uh, well, man, it's such an honor to be with you guys. I love this building. I love the spirit in the room. Of course, it's the spirit of God, but I love your flavor. And uh, uh, Pastor Wesley and your wife just honor you guys. And thank you for all that honor and that love. And it's such an honor when God connects people. Don't take it lightly. Like when he puts people in your life, it's for a reason. Can you say amen? You can just look at the person next to you and say, that's you. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm, I'm really excited to be here. And, and some of our uh, church family came with us and uh, just to hang out with y'all. I got to sit in our first service, our 9 a.m., and my wife is preaching. And uh, she's bringing it over there, preaching a powerful message. And so I'm really delighted to, to share the word with you this morning. How many love the scripture? Come on. We're going to be teaching out of Luke chapter 15, which is probably some familiar text to you, but I really believe that God is going to give you a fresh look and fresh, some good revelation of who He is. And uh, how many believe that when we get revelation of who God is, it transforms us, it changes our hearts. And so we're going to be reading out of Luke 15 in just a moment. Before I do that, uh, man, I love the fire that you carry and I just want to affirm that it's holy, jealously guarded. Like when you begin to pray, I love your entire team. Like, bro, you came up and did that little transition, and it was just like, just the fire of the Holy Ghost, man. You guys have something special here, and, uh, and you need to know it and know what you have. It's holy. When God does things in community, in church community, it's sacred uh, because people are involved. Amen. And he, he can only use broken people. <laughs> None of us are perfect. I mean, and he chooses to. And I think that's just part of uh, his nature. He just loves to take our weaknesses and, and give us grace and, uh, and then see completion and sufficiency and overflow of his love to a broken world. Amen. But I love your fire. And uh, you and your wife are precious. We love you. Bless you. And just honestly, really, really honored to be here. And I, I do have kind of like just a word of encouragement for you, Aaron. And I just want to say, bro, you have been smeared with the Holy Spirit as a psalmist. And, and man, I just, during worship, and so I, I'm a worship leader. So I'm always, I have a kindredness when I see somebody who is anointed to worship. Like you have a lot, and your whole team's anointed. And, and, but the Lord was just highlighting you, and I wanted to just encourage you because there's something about somebody who God has given a grace to bring people into the presence of God to where in which they encounter God themselves. It's very powerful. I don't know if there's a greater anointing, honestly. I mean, it's, it can happen through the message, but something special when we orient our hearts at the presence of God together like we have been today. And, and I just want to affirm that anointing on your life. And I believe this is such a Christian cliche, what I'm about to say. But you are truly stepping into a new season. And there has been darts. And I'm not speaking about this house per se. Maybe from the past, people may be discouraging. 
But I just honestly believe that there is arrows of lies just coming out right now. And there's a fresh fire of his presence, that passion you have. Can you just lift your hands right now? Stretch your hands forward to this guy. Come on. Father, we just release a fresh fire of the Holy Spirit. Wow. All over him right now. Like a blanket of glory just all over him. Just say, receive it in Jesus' name. Come on, pray for him right now. Pray for your brother. We bless him. We bless his wife, his family. We thank you that he has been released to fly now, Lord. And he's just now spreading his wings. And it's not going to be hard because the wind of the Spirit just lifts him up and carries him. Lord, thank you for the banner of integrity over his life. And thank you, Father, that there is just a pure river of worship. And Lord, we, uh, we want to get behind that kind of stuff. And so we just thank you for where this church is headed, the spirit of breakthrough on the senior leadership and on all the leaders in this house, Lord, we bless. But Father, thank you for the psalmist anointing. May it increase. I just want to run off this stage and lay hands on you. I might. Man, just, bro, come on up, come on up. Dude, I love your spirit, man. I'm telling you, you're the real deal. There's a purity there's something about your voice and your sound. Now, your sound will change. You cross-pollinate with me, but you have a voice. You have a sound. That's what, you, that's what God wants you to release. So, Lord, I pray. Come on, stretch your hands forward one more time. And, Lord, I just release the fire and the increase right now of that psalmist anointing all over him. Jesus' name. Wow. Glory. Glory. You know, there's something about when the Lord just takes you into intimate times with Him. How many can say amen to that? You know, and, and so that's on this man right here. And it's on your leaders. Like people that spend time in the presence of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. Father, thank you. Man, thank you for the fire. Whoa, the Holy Spirit. I really believe that even not just in this church, but in the body of Christ, we are uh, we're going to start experiencing the reverential awe of God in worship. And, and, and so I, I love sweet times of worship, you know, and pretty songs and all that stuff. But then there's times where it's like the reverential awe of God hits us and crashes into us. And sometimes we can't even really say anything. You know, in the Zusa Street Revival, which is, was not a perfect revival, but we can learn from all the past revivals, right? If you read about the Zusa Street Revival, one of my favorites, I mean, I love the Welsh Revival. I love, you know, this First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening. But in the early 1900s, not only did you see, uh, you know, different races gathering together, which was unheard of, racial walls were coming down, but you saw moments in the presence of God where there was such a holy manifestation of God's love and presence that people couldn't speak in the presence of God. It was holy. Can you say what God is doing is holy? Amen. And I really believe God is doing something. I'm not just saying that. I, honestly, I'm not just saying that to flatter you. I don't flatter. I, 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 well, sometimes I do, but I try not to because God wants us to honor, right? There's a difference between honor and flattery. 
And we have to learn the difference. And sometimes we have to ask God, God, am I flattering? Am I honoring? There's a big difference. And I honor what God's doing right here. You guys could feel it, huh? You guys could feel it. And so, uh, man, it's just good. One more time, lift your hands to the Lord, would you, before I dig into this text. And I just love the presence of the Lord, man. I thank you for your presence, Father. We love you. Thank you for the sound that's coming forth, the sound of worship. And, Lord, it's in your presence that our hearts are knit together to be a forged community, to be a community, a, an army of God, to evict the enemy out of territory that no longer belongs to him. An army of God that when souls, that reaches and raises up and releases people. And Lord, thank you for the vision of this house. Thank you for the shift. Thank you for what you're doing. This entire community is stepping into a new season. And it's beautiful. Great things are ahead. And they live in a great time. Can you say amen and just seal it with praise? Come on, give God a shout. Jesus, we love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I paid him 20 bucks to fall like that, so I look real anointed. <laughs> Can you imagine? That'd be just crazy. Hey, bro, I'm going to like have you come up and give you this fake word. Here's 20. Just fall so I look anointed, okay? That's not what happened. I'm just messing. If it's your first time, sorry. I'm just messing around. So uh, Luke chapter 15. You received that word, though, bro? Come on. Amen. Amen. Love you, bro. Uh, Luke chapter 15. Now I'm going to just recap uh, verses 11 through 16. I'm going to read a couple verses. Then I'm going to just go through verses. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about a story that is familiar to us. Um, but sometimes we look at a story in the Bible, like sometimes we'll read a scripture and think, oh, that implies to this. Or, you know, like we look at the story of the prodigal son. And how many know, I mean, that's the message you want to hear when you haven't been to church in six months, <laughs> you're backslidden, right? And, uh, and, and it's usually a story we read that kind of exemplifies somebody who's coming home, coming back to Jesus. But I just want to give you a fresh look that I believe this story is about significance. And I want to ask you some questions, and then I want to dig into the text and... Uh, and I just pray that, that it really, really encourages and ministers to you. So most of you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son. So a, a father has two sons. The younger says, give me my inheritance, which, by the way, in the first century context, that's like saying, um, Dad, you know that that money I'm going to get when you die, I want it now. So basically, you're dead to me. It was a big deal. It wasn't just like, hey, Dad, can I have a, a big, you know, uh, like... Can I just withdraw a bunch of money out of your account? No, he was saying, Dad, you're dead to me. So he pulls all the money out, and he squanders it, lives crazy, right? And just blows it, loses it. And then we come to verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, uh, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, verse 18. I'm reading out of the New King James. I believe it's behind me. I will ar arise and go to my father. That's a good word right there. And I will say to him, pay attention to this, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose, came to his father. While he was still a great way off, his father ran, had compassion, kissed him, uh, and said, the son begins to speak. And, uh, and then the father says, 
bring out the best robe, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. I'm just jumping through the verses because we're going to go through them verse by verse. He says, bring the fatted calf. Say fatted calf. Man, every time I read it, I'm, I get hungry for steak. I haven't had steak in a while, man. I, I would just was at the, in the Philippines. We had a lot of pork. I, I need some steak. Glory to God. And I don't, I don't want just like a little piece of New York steak. I want a filet, a prime piece. Okay, I'm getting distracted. Can you tell all I had was a banana this morning? No, I had a little muffin too, but it's not enough ever. So um, where was I? You see how distracted I got? Jesus, help me. Fatted calf. Thank you. Steak. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Then it talks about the older son. He heard music dancing, comes in. He was ticked off. I'm just going to paraphrase. I hope you don't mind. We will go into the text verse by verse. Uh, his father pleaded with him, said, come in. Uh, the son rambles a little bit more. Uh, then he says, son, you're always with me. You're, we should be rejoicing now because your brother was dead. And now he's alive, he was lost, and he's found. Can you say amen? Uh, let's pray real quick, and then we're going to get right into this. Father, thank you for this wonderful church community. I am so honored to be here to share the word with them, to encourage them. And Lord, I just, we come and we open our hearts. Holy Spirit, thank you for pouring out fresh fire, fresh grace, fresh revelation of who you are, of your love. And thank you for the transformation and the great refreshing and things that you're going to do in our future. We believe that we are alive in one of the greatest hours the church has ever seen. So we open our hearts. Would you just with me lift your hand say, I open my heart, Lord. I want to hear what you have to say to me. In Jesus' name. And I'll say amen. And one more time, give God a shout. Come on. So I've been pastoring for as a senior pastor for 10 years, and it's been quite a journey. Um, pray for your pastors and leaders, because sheep bite too. I didn't hear many amens on that. No, I'm just I'm messing with y'all. Sheep are mean. No, but uh, I, uh, I, it is such an honor to serve the people of God. It really is. And, um, and I've been pastoring for a while, and, and so I've read scriptures like this, and sometimes you just fly through stuff, and and, and sometimes you have to slow down, not just when we're reading the Bible, but in prayer, in life. Like, have you ever been praying, and, and it's like you're just going for it, and then God's like, hey, can I get a word in here? I want to <laughs> say something. You know, like he's, behold, I stand at the door and knock, but we're just, oh, hallelujah, and we're going off, and, and Jesus is like, can I, I, I kind of want to say something here. And sometimes we've got to slow down. And I want to ask you some questions. I want you to slow down with me. And I want to ask you some questions because I have a story I want to tell you about a, a time in my life where I was doing some crazy stuff. And um, I, God brought me back to this story, uh, you know, years after to teach me something about my significance. And, and I want to talk to you about your significance. The prodigal son, this story is not just about a backslidden Christian. Actually, there's so many beautiful applications. Like, it's about the lost coming into the house of God. It's about the arms of the Father. It's about, you know, uh, the acceptance that God shows us, the love of the Father that He shows humanity. Can you say amen? 
But I want to talk to you about your significance. So years ago, um, when I was crazy, not that I'm not anymore, but, you know, like as a teenager in Vegas, living right off the strip, we did some pretty dumb things. And uh, not that I don't do dumb things now, but a lot of less dumb things. Amen? I'm being transformed. Um, so we used to, uh, we used to like, do whatever we could to get a thrill. I mean, one time, me and my friend, because we didn't want to, uh, you know, drive and be responsible, we thought we'd rollerblade and just, like, grab on the back of buses and cars. And one time we did it when the Grateful Dead was in town. So it's all these hippies. They're going to say yes. Hey, can I grab on the back of your truck? Yeah, bro, sure, you know. And they smell like patchouli oil, and you're like, oh, praise God. You know those people, right? Is there anyone here that's a Grateful Dead fan? God bless you. Um, they release a fragrance. And, and so we would, one time, I was on the back of a, a, a pickup truck. Then the guy gets on the freeway. And I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work, but I don't want to look like a wimp. Because I'm like 17. You know, when you're 17, you think you can join the army and change the world and kill everybody and, you know, you're, beat anybody up. Like, yeah, right. And I, so I grab on the back of this thing, and we end up going like 60 miles an hour. And I'm like, and my rollerblades are doing this. I'm like, and inside I'm thinking, Jesus, I don't even know if you're real, but please <laughs> help me. Uh, so me and my friends were a little crazy. And I was kind of like, just to give you a little background story, it's really not that important, but I'll just say it anyways. I was like a cross between a gangster, a skater, and a stoner. I was this breed of like gangster Nikes, skater pants, long hair, just, you know, pot smoker. I got delivered. Come on, somebody. And uh, saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so um, we used to do really dumb things. And sometimes we did it when we were high, you know. And, uh, and so one time we were trying to get a thrill, and we were swinging off of a roof. Uh, you know, it was an old house on the golf course on Desert Inn and the Strip. And we're swinging off a roof from a tree over this spiked fence because when you're over the spiked fence, the rush of, oh, my gosh, what if the rope broke right now? But we didn't have a rope, so we used a hose. Now, you say no, but I was 17. I didn't know no. I didn't know that that was really dumb. And what's even stupider is the hose was already broke and duct taped together. I'm telling, this is a true story. So we're swinging off the roof. Everyone's like, whoa, you know, my friends. And, and it's my turn. Come on, somebody. So I go, of course, everything slows down. I'm over the spike fence. It snaps. And I'm thinking in that moment, you know, when you get hurt, it's like nowadays you think this is the moment Zach knew he really messed up, right? And I'm in the air and I'm thinking I'm going to end up with spikes like coming through my chest and I'm going to look at my bros and be like, smoke one last doobie for me, bro. You know, <laughs> this is what I'm thinking in the moment. And, and that's my past life. Come on, somebody. I'm new creation. So for some reason, like I'm flipping backwards and I end up like landing on my neck and, and I thought I was going to break my neck. So I get up. All my friends are laughing. I'm like, really? They're like, <laughs> the stoner laugh. You know, they're all doing the same thing, pointing at me. And uh, out of all this, I broke my big toe. 
I don't even know how it happened. I think my toe like hit the spike fence as I came down. Anyway, so I broke my toe, and I'm like, thank God. My neck was sore for about a week. I'm not sure what I actually did. I still walk like this, but I think I'm okay. But so I realized this was new to me, guys. I'd never broken my toe. I broke my arm before. You know, I used to skate, bike, do dumb things, and so I broke my toe. I was on crutches. I didn't realize that that tiny part of your body was so significant, One time, early on in our church plant, the Lord says, you remember that time you broke your toe? And I'm like, yeah. And he says, every part of the body is significant. Even the smelly parts. The toe. Even the parts we don't like or or maybe we, you know, and and so it's important that we understand how significant every, we're all part of the body of Christ. And there's no part of the body that's not valuable or significant. And in this story, I see significance. Like, let me ask you a question. What makes you valuable? What makes you significant? I mean, is that even a valid question? Or are we saying that I'm not valuable, only God's valuable? Well, wait, aren't we his kids? Like, let's think this through. You know, sometimes we'll pray prayers and say, I'm only worthy because of you, Lord. Well, what are we saying? Like, I don't deserve something by merit? Well, that's true. But are we saying when I say I'm I'm not worthy, are we saying that I don't have value? Because that kind of contradicts John 3.16. For God so loved the world, hello, that he gave his only begotten son. So I want to go through these verses, and I I want us to just look at this in a fresh way, because for years, uh, you know, serving in ministry, I've been in ministry for over 20 years, and for, for years, I didn't know my significance in ministry. I felt overlooked. I felt invisible. I didn't know who I was, really. And God has changed that. And it's, you know, sometimes still I have a a, a lapse of identity and I forget that I'm his son and I feel insignificant. And then I start doing things out of the wrong value system. And sometimes we get stuck in these value systems that are not value systems of heaven um, but there are own systems of value in our own culture. Amen? So let's start by verse, looking at verses 17 through 19. Now this is powerful. When he, the prodigal son, the younger son, came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say, Father, pay attention. I have sinned against heaven and before you. That's valid, right? He did. Now look what he says here in verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You know, I want to talk about something in the church that sometimes is produced out of us not knowing our significance, and that is pre-rehearsed prayers that are really designed to make us sound and look more anointed. Now can you imagine, what if we just pray, like when you were praying, bro, Wesley, when you were up here praying, it wasn't pre-rehearsed prayer. Now, you might have meditated in your heart like what? Maybe you didn't. And it's one thing to kind of meditate about what you're going to say and what you're going to pray. But there's something about the fire of not being, it's good to be prepared, but the spontaneity of the passion and the cry of the heart. 
can you imagine that we, as, as the people of God, we are to be a praying people? What if we stop praying pre-rehearsed prayers designed to make us look more anointed and we just talk to the Father from our heart? I would bet that a lot of our prayers would actually change everything and we would see a lot of more breakthrough if we just talk to him like he's right here instead of really we're just like kind of preaching to the people around us, you know, or this one, we're real good at this, we Christians, everybody, like we'll turn our prayer meeting and it's really a gossip session. Oh, we got to pray for sister so-and-so because you know what happened to her, you know, hello. And we see in the in this story that he has this pre-rehearsed prayer, which we're going to look into a little bit more. But sometimes we pray to impress the listener. And sometimes we're looking for the acceptance of others because we don't know our value and our acceptance to God. And sometimes we even live in this place where I, will, I would rather be accepted for who I'm not then potentially take the risk of being rejected for who I really am in God. Did I say, was that too deep for you? Did you hear what I just said? Sometimes, okay, I'm going to just be accepted. This isn't really who I am, but I'd, I'd rather be accepted because I'm afraid to be rejected for who I am in God. How about we just say, you know what, I'll take the risk. I'd rather just be who God created me to be because I know I might be rejected, but the rejection of some will not outweigh the acceptance of the one. Come on. The, the rejection of your past and the rejection of some, the rejection of those in your future will never outweigh the acceptance of the one. Jesus, help us understand how we are accepted. We say things like, I'm no longer worthy. Well, it's true that he didn't deserve, you know, this love by merit. So he's pre-rehearsing. Like, I have to say this. Maybe my father will accept me. Uh, but when we say, I'm no longer worthy, we don't mean, and we shouldn't mean, I have no worth. It's tricky in the English language. But can I just say this to you? You have intrinsic value or Jesus would have never shed his blood for you. John 3.16. See, the blood of Jesus doesn't make you worthy. It proves you're valuable. The blood of Jesus doesn't make you valuable. It proves you're valuable. You have value. As a matter of fact, if you look at the parables in Luke 15 before this, the lost coin, you, th this is the point of what Jesus is saying. You have value. How many know that the lost out there have value to God? Come on. That's why y'all in this community have a heart for the lost. You have a heart for the broken. You have a heart for the prodigals. Yeah. And we need to know that, that sometimes our pre-rehearsed prayers, God just needs to like interrupt them and just rearrange them a little bit and teach us that we're accepted so we can talk to him and keep it real when we talk to him. Amen. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But here's what the scripture says. But when he was still a great way off, the son was still far off, but the father was looking the father was paying attention. The father was chasing after his son. The father was right there waiting for him. I mean, can you imagine the father in the story? He's looking. He's looking. Is that him? Nope, that's a coyote. <laughs> but I'm looking and waiting for my son to come home. The Bible says that when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Come on. It doesn't matter how far 
you've ever been or how far you think anyone else has ever gone, the Father is looking and waiting with the furious longing of love with open arms. How many people around us are fit the description or sometimes even us, we, we, you know, it's like we don't understand who we are, we don't understand how loved we are, but how many know that God's arms are wide open? Now, this is, this is really powerful. I don't know if you knew this, but in the first century, Jesus is telling this parable. It sounds great, like, oh, the father has compassion, runs down, meets his son. In the first century, elder men did not run. If an elder man ran, it was considered disrespectful. Jesus was exemplifying something. He was saying that, yeah, you know the image of a father you have? The father, oh, he's so much more loving than that. You couldn't even imagine or begin to fathom his love. And the, and the, the lengths that he's willing to go even give his only son. Come on, somebody. I mean, the eternal son, God the son, Jesus incarnate, God becoming flesh to give his life. The cost of his life was everything to go into the darkest place, even into death, to purchase us back and bring us back to life. Like that's, that was all because of the love of the Father. Now, I want to I read a quote to you from Brennan Manning. He's one of my favorite authors. Have you ever read any books by Brennan Manning? He wrote uh, The Ragamuffin Gospel, pretty popular book. The Furious Longing of God, highly recommend the book. Um, Abba's Child. So I want to read a quote to you. This is so legit. So he says this, If you took the love of all the best mothers and fathers who have lived in the course of human history, all their goodness, kindness, patience, fidelity, wisdom, and tenderness, strength, and love, and united all those qualities in a single person, you get the picture? That person's love would only be a faint shadow of the furious love and mercy in the heart of God the Father addressed to you and me in this moment. The love of God. Jesus is telling the story to exemplify who the Father is. You know, his whole ministry was to reveal the heart of the Father. In John 14, you know, Philip's like, show us the Father. You've been with me this whole time, bro. You see me, you see the Father. Like, he is the exact representation of who God is. Hebrews 1.3, Colossians 1.15. He, he reveals to us what God looks like. And in the story, in the Gospels, he's saying the father ran and kissed him with forgiveness. Old men didn't run in that day. Not because they had bad knees. It just wasn't a part of the culture. But Jesus is saying this father will run. His love will outweigh what the culture might disrespect to reveal his love for the one. Verses 21 and 22, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son again. And he says, this is the pre-rehearsed prayer. Remember he said that? Now this is the real prayer. He's in the story. Now he's standing before the father. The father has greeted him. Now he's standing before the father, and so he says, the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in, uh, in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants. Now hold on a minute. That was not his whole pre-rehearsed prayer. If you look at verse 19b, there was a part where he said, make me like one of your hired servants. I think that the reason that part was out, because Jesus was saying, 
the Father and His love will interrupt our, interrupt our orphan prayers and utterances. He's saying, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. The Father's like, stop that. He said, servants. Immediately, He addresses the servants. When the next thing out of the son's mouth was supposed to be, make me like one of your servants. Can I just say this? We need to serve God. Can you say amen? amen. But we are sons that serve. We're not servants hoping to be sons. We're sons because he calls us sons and daughters, not referring to gender. We are children of God that serve. We're bond servants. We're in love with him because he first loved us. But it's important that we understand in the story He's saying, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. The father's like, stop that if I could paraphrase. And he addresses his servants. In other words, there's a distinction made. The father's love makes that distinction. He says, you're a son. Don't let that utterance come out of your mouth. What if we allowed the love of the father to interrupt all of our orphan prayers, our orphan prophetic utterances? Come on. All the things that come out of wounds of our heart, bitterness and anger and resentment. And what if we just let the father's love heal every part of us so all that comes out is the father's love? And we're talking to him. It's the father's love. And we're preaching the gospel. It's the father's love. Come on. I think we'd see a lot more results. I don't know. Maybe we should try it. Amen. I love this. He interrupts. Oh, man. And then he says to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. I bet you this dude was like hanging out with pigs. He stunk. He was probably filthy. The father doesn't even dress it. He doesn't say servants give him a bath. He says, put the robe. Go in my closet, if I could paraphrase. Put the royal robe. Put my robe on him. Does that mean that we're... No, it means that we're... He, Jesus, Jesus cleanses us in the precious blood, and that's it. And then he says, put a ring on his hand, which is interesting because the ring could symbolize different things, but if it's a signet ring, which we see is possibly the meaning in Ephesians chapter 1 when, when Paul's talking about the inheritance, the deposit, the guarantee, uh, the, the down payment it's erabon in the Greek, and it can even mean an engagement ring, but it can also mean like a signet ring that was used by someone that was royalty, a king or a prince, and they would, there was a seal on it, and it could actually, uh, you know, seal letters and different things. It was actually used to make withdrawals on things that were valuable. In other words, it's like, the son just blew all of his inheritance and immediately the father takes him back in and says, you're my son. Put a ring on him, put a robe on him, put shoes on his feet. You're going to walk different this way. But he entrusts him with a signet ring? That was what got him in trouble. Now, sounds a little crazy. This sounds like an outrageous story. And it is. It's the outrageous love of the father. Oh man, if the church, if we, the people of God, the body of Christ, just got a glimpse, just got a, a drop of the revelation of who the Father is. See, the thing is, we know Jesus, we know the Spirit, and we experience that, but sometimes we don't know the Father, the Spirit that proceeds from the Father, the Father revealed through the Son. Come on. And, and God wants to bring us to this place where we know the Father, the fount of the Trinity, the Father's love, and that's what this story is about. Verses 23 and 24, we're just moving on. And bring the fatted calf. Somebody say steak. <laughs> and kill it. 
And let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive again. Now read that and hear the heart of a loving father. Now I have five kids. Y'all are thinking, someone said, come on, y'all are thinking, pray for that man right there. (laughs) My oldest son's right here on the front row. And I'm so proud of him, man. We just went to the Philippines. All my kids went. And there was this moment. I didn't plan on telling the story, but I'm just so proud of my kids. We were praying for uh, pastors and worship leaders. And so we did a workshop. There's this mega church in Manila that's just exploding. And on Sunday, there was like 1,300 people. We got to minister. My daughter, who's kind of like an up-and-coming worship leader, uh, she's leading worship. I got to preach. Our team is there ministering. Actually, Megan and Sinclair were there right here on the front row. And, and so my son's there. And we're laying hands on all these worship pastors, uh, worship teams, and pastors. And we just did a, like a workshop on worship. There's different workshops going, going on in the building. And we're imparting like holy fire. And my son comes in from playing video games because one of the leaders was like, hey, come with us. And they're entertaining the kids even though they should have been there. But he, he walks in, and, and David, he's like, man, presence of God. And he just rolls up, and my kids just start laying hands. My six-year-old Layla is, like, walking around just watching us. We're laying, these, these people are crying out, getting baptized with the Holy Spirit, crying out, holy fire, revival fires. Some of them are screaming because their response to what God is doing that deep in there, and David is walking around, come on, he's been baptized in the Holy Ghost since he's five years old, and it didn't come out like, it came out like, I'm like, bro, you've been praying in tongues your whole dang life, you're five years old, a fluent prayer language, it was like a warring tongue, man, and we're laying hands on people, and just like, come on, that's, that's, that's family ministry right there, can you say amen, so that was just a side note, it has nothing to do with the message. But one time, my son and I, my son can eat. He gets it from me, obviously. Praise God. My son and I was like, let's make a steak. Everyone's gone. I don't know. Where was the rest of the family? We don't even know. They were gone. Mom took them shopping. (laughs) Whatever. So we're going to eat steaks. We got a filet, and we took that thing, and we, like, coated it with peppercorn, right? What else? Salt some garlic. We put, this might sound crazy, a little coffee ground. I went to some fine dining restaurant. They did an espresso peppercorn steak, and it was amazing. So we put a little coffee ground on it. We grilled it. Then we sauteed some fresh garlic in butter. It was not margarine, because margarine's demonic. Can you say amen? It was butter. And if it's not salted butter, it ain't butter. Mmm. The fatness destroys the yolk. It's the anointing. Ha! And we sauteed that garlic and butter, and we poured it all over on a hot plate. We put that steak on there. That's what, exactly what it sounded like. And then poured the buttery garlic all over. And we're sitting out in my backyard. Me and Dave are like, oh, my God. Heaven just manifested on earth in my mouth. Like, we're enjoying this steak. And it was just him and I. And we're just enjoying it. And something happens when you eat, right? Defenses come down. There's, your hearts are knit together. God, you know, it's interesting in the Old Testament when he tells Moses to build the tabernacle after the ark, which is the most important part, because that's what contained the, the Shekinah glory, the manifest presence. How many know the next thing was to build a table with all of the utensils? 
It's interesting to me that even Jesus, you know, like before he talks about the new covenant, they're sitting at a table. And in the Old Testament, the table was where the showbread, the bread of presence was. There's something about coming to a table and feasting. And in the story, they killed the fatted calf, but it wasn't just two people to enjoy. If we read the text, if we keep reading, it's interesting. The, the, the son, the other son was like, you never even killed a goat for me. Now, a goat is not, first of all, it's not going to taste as good, but in my opinion. But, uh, but the steak, the fatted calf is going to feed a lot more people. Now, I want you to just hold on to that for a minute. There's a powerful revelation in that. Because the fatted calf would feed a community. Do you know that, that scholars say that when the son was coming into the community, what the younger son did as the prodigal was so disrespectful, the community in the first century, it's possible they could have just mobbed him and beat him up because of how he disrespected his father. It was a disgrace to the community. So not only do we see the father exemplifying his love beyond culture barriers, running down to the son, but kissing him with the kiss of forgiveness for every other person to see, just in case there was a mob there about ready to jump him. So the fatted calf was not just for the father, the sons, and the servants. It was for the community. Because when God kisses us with forgiveness... It's for everyone else to know and to recognize, come on, what God has forgiven, we must forgive. When we reconcile with God, we reconcile with one another. It just happens. When God grabs my heart and just shakes me up with his love and pours out his fiery love, I can't help but to love people. I can't help but to love my wife generously. She wants to go shopping. I will empty my savings for you, baby. I love you. Like, seriously, man, we ha- when, we are, when we let God love us, it overflows. It overflows to our kids. Come on, our brothers, our sisters. And even overflows beyond, we become unoffendable. We don't allow petty offenses and little things, walls to be built between us. Come on, if nothing can separate us from the love of God, why do we let little tiny things separate us from loving one another? And the fatted calf wasn't just for the family in the house. It was for the community, for everyone to see what the Father has forgiven. Now there can be a celebration that he was restored. Wow. What God has forgiven, we must forgive. Verses 25 through 30. Now his older son. Now now it begins to shift here. In closing, we're going to talk about the older son. The older son, it says he came and drew near to the house. If you have your Bible, underline that. He drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home because he's received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. And then it says the brother was ticked off, Zach paraphrase, and would not go in. The older brother, we always talk about the younger brother. The younger brother messed up, but there's a story with the older brother, too. There's revelation. There's something that he's saying in here. It says he was angry, would not go in the house. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. The father came out and said, son, come inside. He answered. He said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat 
that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours, notice he doesn't call him brother. Hmm. Like when my kids are bad, my wife says, those kids, your kids. <laughs> it's the truth. She does every time, huh? Tell your kids, right? But you know, it's interesting to me. And I don't know if it, it's not like this all the time. I was, a minute ago, I was talking about the father, the father's love. And sometimes like we receive from Jesus and we, it's easy to come to the cross, receive Jesus. But it's like, we don't, do we really know the father? And obviously the Trinity runs in a pack, three in you know, who they are, one in what they are, like the essence, the one divine essence. But there is three distinct personalities of the Godhead. And sometimes we experience the Spirit and Jesus, but the Father is kind of distant. Like, well, does the, well, Jesus loves me, but I don't know about the Father, you know. Like, don't get on his bad side, right? But it's interesting to me that even, like, when my kids are acting a little cray-cray, sometimes they do, when they just get a little crazy, and my wife sometimes can't get them in order, she'll say, Dad's coming home. And then I walk in the door, and what took her an hour to try to get the kids in order, hey, guys, do the dishes, and gives them a list of things, do your laundry. I come home, and I'm like, hey, listen to your mom. And they just start moving. And she's like, I've been telling you to do that for an hour. But listen, why? Sometimes, sometimes... Like, kids just don't respect a parent as the way they should. But sometimes the authority of a father, a dad, when dad comes home, when dad manifests his presence, hear me, things just fall in line and come in order. And the son, the older son, would not go in the house. It's interesting, though. If, look, at the, look at the story here. And he says, this son of yours, he wouldn't even call him a brother, who devoured your livelihood with harlots and you killed the fatted calf. Now, drew near the house. Here's the contrast. There's two sons. One is more of an honest sinner, right? The younger. The other is more of a hypocritical saint. Both need deliverance from an orphan spirit. Here's the difference though. The younger one chose to go in the house. I think it represents church, family, community, relationship. But more than anything, it represents receiving the Father's love. No matter what you go through, you know, you see this in life. Like somebody will backslide and they're just a mess. They come back to the Lord and they have a powerful ministry. And you've been serving for 20 years and your ministry hasn't grown. This happens in life, right? And you're like, what the heck? Don't be the older brother. Just go into the house. Come on. Receive the Father's love. And here's what the Father says to him, the last verses. He says, son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. Wow. He probably could have got a fatted calf anytime he wanted if he just asked. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad for your brother was dead again, and now he was lost, and now he is found. That orphan way of thinking, it's not just for the prodigals. It's for us to know the Father's love. For years in ministry, I thought like an orphan. Years in ministry, I tried to find my significance in a platform, in a title, come on, a spotlight, in a solo. You know, it's interesting. When the son heard music, it says he got angry. The word music is symphony. It's the opposite of a solo. A symphony is a picture of different sounds functioning together as one. This body is a symphony. 
you release a sound. You release a sound that, that even draws the lost in. And you go out and you draw the lost in. You evangelize. But there's a sound of heaven being released. A symphony. Not a solo. A symphony. Come on. That draws the lost in to refuge into the house of God. How many can say, I need an encounter, a greater encounter with the Father's love? I want to know the Father's love. Brendan Manning says, My identity as Abba's child is not an abstraction or a tap dance into religiosity. It is the core truth of my existence. Can I read you one more scripture? Romans 8, 14 through 16. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. Oh, that's a good word right there. Leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance unfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as He rises up within us, our spirit, hear this, join in Him saying the words of tender affection, Abba, Father, or Beloved Father, Dear Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us, and He whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. The parable that we just read is about exemplifying the Father's love to know that we are loved, that we are valuable, that we are significant. We can't love other people unless we know we're loved. It's impossible. One of the ways that I encountered a deeper revelation of the Father's love is when I'm in ministry and I'm, I'm closing with the story, I, uh, I felt overlooked, I felt invisible. Matter of fact, my leaders were intimidated by the anointing on my life. And, uh, and then a father came into my life. And I, can I just tell you, that this is probably the most impactful thing that ever happened to me, except for salvation itself. God used a man, a father, a man by the name of Larry Titus. He has a ministry. He's pastored more than, I think, three mega churches in the last 50 years of ministry. He's still alive. He's a spiritual father to me. But he came into my life when I felt invisible, and he just adopted me. The guy just began to invest in me, and he saw me. And it literally altered my life, and I began to realize that the whole time I was searching for my significance in all of these other things, I just needed to find my significance in the Father's love. The full acceptance that he gives us.